never get tired of hearing me say that. Welcome to Breaking of Ava Bowden and Barry. I am your host, Jeff Bowden. With me, my co-host, Barry Rose. Barry, how are you doing today? I'm a million bucks. I This past weekend, I pulled a Javorski. Uh, which wasn't cranking off, which I knew that's where you were going to go to. But well, no, I was I was going to say hand lotion or some uh, other uh, sort of lubricant or what? Spit. Straight, okay. Straight spit. Exactly. I, uh, but I I pulled nature's nature's lubricant. Go ahead. Nature's lubricant, a big loogie, and I went uh, to Impact Tapings over two nights. Over two nights, so it was a Friday and Saturday. Oh, so Javorski's not going to be the only one watching these tapings. That's that, nice. There, there'll be a second guy. It'll be me now. But uh, had a really, really good time. And I got to say, I think this was maybe uh, the, these two nights only the second or third event that I've been to since COVID started. So it, I got to say, it was really exciting to be back within live crowds again, and you know, people excited. And I got to say, Impact did a great job. Got to see our old friend David Penzer, who, believe it or not, Jeff, actually got me comp tickets both nights. David uh, Cash Money Penzer. That's nice yeah. of him. Yes, but it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, I got to say, so the highlight really was being back within people that were excited to see wrestling again and, and, and getting out there and doing this. And obviously, this gets me super jazzed up for the next CWF Legends Fan Fest, Jeff, which I don't know if I've mentioned, comes up on June the 4th of this year. It's a Saturday. Very excited about that. So let me ask you, uh, the only question I have, uh, since Javorski is the only person on God's earth, apparently, that still watches Impact that we know of, in attendance there, I know you mentioned our boy Ch- uh, Cholminski and some others. Uh, was Baker Mayfield there? Because yeah, he, he currently nice. uh, doesn't have anything to do. Ha! That's for you, Javorski. <clears throat> so here on episode 233, Breaking Cafe with Badger and Barry, we are going to, oh, Barry, speaking of Philadelphia, we are going to the old ECW oh, Arena. Uh, September, that's where I was. September 15th, 1995. It is from the Gangsta's Paradise uh, show as Raven and Stevie Richards take on the Pitbulls. Besides that, we're also going to be offering up our top 10 movie villain deaths. And, Barry, because we are nothing if not givers, we are going to be accepting some Q and A. Well, no, some Q. We're going to be providing the A. Some questions from the Brothership. Uh, You know, uh, I, I don't know if you know this. There are other lesser podcasts that occasionally do the Q&A segments. We are the originators, I believe, Barry. Well, at least, by God, I'm going to take fucking credit for it. So, Barry, why don't we talk a little hmm, Raven and Stevie Richards and the Pitbulls. You had a chance to watch this match. Tell the good folks what you thought of it. Yeah, so as I just waxed poetically about my fantastic weekend with going to uh, wrestling two nights in a row, it did take place in the old ECW arena, which is now called the 2300 Arena. And having been there when it was ECW, I went in uh, 94 and 95, uh, and I got to tell you, it was a shithole, a shithole of epic proportions all the way around, just a, a true dump. And the guy that they took pride in that, though, didn't they? They, they did. That, and that's not a knock. No, you're 100% correct with that, Jeff. Check. They did take pride in the fact that was part of the, the charm of it. But uh, they got an owner a few years ago, and this guy really wanted to do more than just have a dumpy place. And I believe he actually bought it. And uh, I mean, they cleaned lot- the bathrooms? They redid the bathrooms. They didn't just oh. clean them. They actually redid the bathrooms. He put in a bar. He's in the bathrooms? A, is well, it, well, you know, maybe. 
what, what do you think the beverage is in the bathroom, Jeff? Well, yeah. Okay. And uh, it's warm beer. Just figure. <laughs> it's watered down. Exactly. Filtered, watered down, warm beer. But he really did. He did a great job. And you were at there uh, when we went to an ROH show a few years back. And if you remember when you walk into the restroom, there's actually uh, a big ECW sign in the restroom. So they they pay homage to to ECW because from all intents and purposes, that that really did make the building somewhat famous. So had a chance to go, was super excited and then came home. And uh, and then I watched this match and I got to see it. And I was only there in the old building. You know, again, the the unrefurbished building, maybe three times, four times, whatever. This is a good match. I, I never saw this match before. I don't recall ever seeing it. And I think partly if I had seen it, maybe it didn't make an impact. So much of ECW with the violence blended together for me that I don't know if I was able to always differentiate between it. And I think at some point, as people have said, you know, with certain aspects of professional wrestling, if every match is a bloodbath, essentially, you become desensitized to it. And while I realized there was great wrestling, you know, Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko, Chris Jericho, et cetera, taking place, ECW was known for really violence. And uh, I don't know if I saw this and was bored at the time, but being able to go back some almost, you know, 25, 30 years, this was actually a really good match. And I think what really made it good was the booking of the match more than anything else, because a lot of these spots were really, really done well. The Raven pile driver on one of the pit bulls, and I believe it was the Balder pit bull, who I think was Anthony, if I'm correct. I, I forget what his name was. That that pile driver spot, and you know which one I'm talking about, gives him the pile driver, and they both sink through the direct middle of the table. Like the table doesn't break in half. They just literally sink through the table. Which is, and the table is still standing as they're through it. That to me was just a great spot. Stevie Richards, I, I like Stevie Richards a lot. And as I'm watching this, Raven's issues in life, I think, have been documented. There's no secret there. The Balder Pitbull, Anthony, again, I believe passed away. Uh, hold on, let me just clear up uh, so we had uh, get some credit for clarification here. We got uh, Gary Wolf and Anthony Durante. Anthony Durante. So yes. Anthony Durante, if you remember his death, do you remember that story at all? I do not. And so that this was one of the ugly stories. I, I believe there was a very serious drug issue. And I, if I remember, this is I read this in The Observer years ago. He was uh, I think he and his girlfriend both died and they had a baby in the house. And Ooh, exactly. So the the baby was I think the baby was rescued. I don't remember all the details. My memory sucks. But I want to say the baby was rescued and uh, but that the parents were dead. So he had a bad drug problem, apparently passed away. Rest in peace. Raven's issues are well documented. Gary Wolf seems to be a guy he's on. He's on Facebook. He's on social media. Seems like he's doing OK. But Stevie Richards is really the uh, the kind of enigma of ECW where so many guys either developed, you know, serious health issues, whether it's related to drugs, steroids, something else, bad decisions, you know, just a, a lot of people in ECW didn't didn't escape it. And and Stevie Richards is one of these guys. I believe he's in Fort Lauderdale. He's in your old stomping grounds, Jeff. And 
he's, I think, a physical trainer, if I'm correct, and also does something like a web graphic designer. So he's a guy that was able to get out of this, I believe, lead, leads a clean lifestyle and he looks great whenever I see him on, on social media. So I love that. You know, I, I love the fact that he was able to do that. Richards gets power bombed through a table from the top rope. So and that's or, a scary looking spot. Let's be honest. Because oh, the, oh, it, in my opinion, he doesn't quite get all the way there. Let's put no, it that way. It's the second scariest spot in this match. And I'm going to talk about that first scariest spot in a second. But Stevie Richards does go through a table. And again, this is off of the top rope. It's a double. They call it a super bomb, if I'm correct, if I'm remembering that. And uh, he goes right through it. The scariest spot in this match, or maybe in any match that I've seen recently, they get Raven up for a super bomb. And Raven misses the table with the exception of the back of his head, which hits the table. I went back and watched this two or three times, and I think Joey Styles, criminally underrated as an announcer, by the way, especially now that he's been so far removed from professional wrestling for so long. This Joey Styles was really good, but he basically said something about Raven's skull bouncing off the table, and he's 100% correct also. It's Check. The, it is the back of his skull. I would imagine Raven missed being paralyzed by, uh, you know, uh, less than a fraction of an inch. That is one of the scariest spots I've ever seen. I also like this other spot, which wasn't crazy and it was kind of goofy. But to hear Joey Styles talk going, what's that smell? What's that smell? <laughs> yes. Ra exactly. Ra Raven's That's got a Gordon Soli. Uh, it really is what it was. Yeah. It harkens back to like the 70s or something. A completely kayfabe spot. Raven pulls out a uh, a red handkerchief, uh, a red bandana, and he pulls out some liquid and he's pouring it all over this this uh, bandana. And I don't know how close the announcer's desk was to the ring so that he could smell it. Or was he farther away? That I don't know. But he's going, what's that smell? And then he's like, is that ether? Is that ether? Best part, he he puts it on Anthony Durante's face. I'm going to say for about the count of five and Durante then falls on a table, which creates another table spot. But overall, look, this match is a lot of fun. And I, I haven't watched ECW in quite a while. Any of the matches, even though it's on the network and what I, I'm assuming it's on the network as they own it. I haven't seen it, but uh, I got to say, this was a lot of fun. And the Pitbulls, the surprise to me, and actually I should say the Dudleys get involved, but it's the lesser Dudleys. It was Dudley Dudley and Dances with Dudleys. Uh, and do you remember that story? That guy dances with Dudleys? No. So he got his ass kicked in the locker room one night. And it was, I think it was New Jack that did it. It was either New Jack or, again, I, this is a report I read, New Jack or another Dudley. Maybe it was Devon or Bubba. But somebody kicked his ass, and I think he was done. I think we never saw him in a locker room ever again. But this was the lesser-known Dudleys that got involved. And, and they went after the Pitbulls, and it was Dudley Dudley and Dances with Dudleys. Uh, so fun match. I liked it. It's about 20 minutes. There's so much happening here. And as we've talked about, and we discussed this last week, Jeff, you brought this up, and others have mentioned this as well, 
And our old friend Eric um, Cholminski mentioned this to me this past weekend. He said, who does listen to the show, apparently, because exactly. He brought up the fact that you and I were recently discussing how when you've got a a match and I should say Jason Abrams as well brought this up. And Jason was with me on a Friday night. Big, big listener that uh, when you got a, a, a match where guys hate each other. It completely defeats the purpose to go into a headlock or a rest hold. Like, these should just be killing each other. This match, these guys appear to hate each other. They fucking go for it right away. I would say this is a huge thumbs up. So, uh, let's talk about some stuff you mentioned. Uh, Let's just say the ECW locker room was known to have various issues. I'll be very kind with the way I word that. Uh, And so, uh, people who had various issues... Uh, they were not the minority. I think the minority was people that were, uh, led a relatively healthy lifestyle. Is that a nice way to put it, Barry? <laughs> yeah. Uh, where the majority sure. seemed to, uh, walk that, uh, that razor's edge between, uh, having serious health issues. Let's put it that way. Pitbulls, very solid tag team when they were in ECW. Uh, uh of course we can, uh, remember the time that I believe it was uh Pitbull two, uh, Anthony Durante when he had the, uh, the the halo that he was wearing and uh and Shane Douglas came in and shook the halo and I thought the building was gonna just explode because there was so much heat that was a great angle but this match uh you got a double dog uh, dog collar match and the guys are trying to navigate uh, getting the chains uh, mixed up with one another that was kind of interesting watching yeah. that uh you know a lot of people talk about who was the greatest character in the history of wrestling and you know you hear yeah, Undertaker is always a guy that's mentioned in that and uh, uh, some others, but Raven is a guy and, and very early, uh, in this podcast, uh, like uh, the first 10 episodes, I, uh, uh, expounded on how much I enjoyed the Raven character. And, you know, when they would shoot those videos of him, uh, you know, sitting in a corner with the hair on his face and, you know, uh, waxing poetic about how the world has done him wrong and uh, how he hated everybody. It was just a really well done character and really uh, they really fleshed it out. They had time. They, they spent a lot of time on it, but they fleshed the character out, really did a good job of creating that and then bringing the whole, uh, you know, boyhood storyline with him and Tommy Dreamer and Beulah and all that. That was just genius booking. And whether it was Paul that came up with that storyline, whether it was it was Raven, Scott, Scott Levy, I don't know who did, but it was just friggin' awesome. But you mentioned Stevie Richards. Stevie Richards has to be up there. In the pantheon, Barry, of great flunkies, because, you know, you, you think about like uh, when uh, the uh, the sheep herders were uh, were in UWF, they had Jack Victory and then they had uh, Johnny Ace as her flag bearer. You know, the flunky, uh, it's an underrated character. The guy that takes the ass whooping, uh, you know, on behalf of uh, the the person he's representing, you know, the guy in uh, AEW uh, now, Brandon. That's with the, uh, you know, the, the all elite group. And he seems to be the one that always takes an ass whooping. The flunky Barry in wrestling history. Can you think of some others that were really good? I'm not talking manager here. I'm talking flunky. Oh, really good flunkies. I'd have to, I'd have to uh, give that a little thought. He was though. And, you know, it, so the strength of ECW, as we could say, I, I think you just touched on half of it. it it's Heyman's booking. Right. It's I mean, this this was designed. How smart was he? Because he was designing for a very specific audience, all of the angles and and it worked and it worked 
Like, you know, you could do it and you'd say, you know, maybe it's not, but it, it truly did work. And that was the genius. Uh, the other was that guys were willing to do whatever it took to get themselves over at this stage to get noticed, uh, you know, whatever. This was their only shot for television, whatever it was. But it's he did such a great job. Great flunkies in professional wrestling. And I think I'm going back to territorial days, right? I'd have to start thinking of Terrell. And we're not looking at managers, which that, that right there accounts for about 90% of the flunkies, right? Sure. So, yeah. you know, and, and there were other, like, you know, uh, at some point during the match, you had Fonzie come out uh, and he gets involved. And this was this was really the uh, the character of Bill Alfonso uh, as the heel authority figure, which morphed into uh, Fonzie, the manager. That was a great use of character. And I'm not dismissing any influence that Bill himself might have had on uh, establishing the character. But that was done extremely well. Uh, you know, and then we had a run in by nine one one nine one one. They they basically created a guy that was like this uh, unbeatable force who would just come in, stand there, grab a guy by the throat, give him the choke slam, and the people lost their mind. And you know, it, it, he was a guy. I don't know if he did much more than that, but they did an incredible job of creating that character, and it was absolutely amazing. And you know, as someone pointed out to me, I, I remember someone saying this to me years ago. They convinced everybody that Taz was like this super shooter, you know, and God bless them. They did a great job in getting that over that, you know, that Taz was basically some kind of form of one of the Gracie brothers, you know, and just by basically having who was the guy? Was it Paul Varlins? Was that the name of the guy? The UFC guy that came in that reportedly was uh, made an offer by a, a female uh, persona who shall remain nameless. Uh, and uh, if he would uh, go and let Taz uh, choke him out, she would per perhaps perform a, a particular sexual favor on him that went That's correct. You know, that went uh, <clears throat> uh, unfulfilled, shall we say? But this is just an example, though. Those stories of the genius of not only Paul Heyman, but you know the other guys. Because I, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that all this was one hundred percent Paul, because Paul was smart enough to know. You need to rely on guys that are in your locker room that are smart guys. And Raven, Scott Levy, was a smart guy. And, you know, when Terry Funk would come in, he would rely on Terry, like, oh, what, what should we do here? And, and how should we work? You know, he relies on, on guys that were very smart to the business to assist him in fleshing out a character and creating a character. So, yeah, this match, you said it, and you're absolutely spot on, Barry, a fun match because it is just nonstop chaos. Uh, it starts off with Beulah uh, and the ring introductions. And then like from there, you go from literally zero to 50. You know, it's just all hell breaks loose. Uh, everybody's flying all over the place. Table spots galore. And it's just uh, uh, what they did. They call it the, mat, uh, the madhouse on 23rd or something like that. There was some other nickname uh, for the building. And, uh, and I can't figure it out right now. But that's kind of what this was. It was like a madhouse that night because of this match. And just complete chaos. But I mean that in a really good way, Bear. Yeah, but I, it, chaos is exactly what made this attractive to so many people. It was like, you know, it, 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 we went to so many shows in Fort Lauderdale and Miami. And the truth was there was a lot of organization that went into putting these shows on, professional wrestling shows. And then you get to the, you know, to the old ECW arena. And it's fucking chaos. Like you can watch cops shoving people. I, you know, I remember my first time ever there, I went with 
Dave Shearer and old tape trader by the name of Jeff Lynch and some other people. And at the end of the night, and I had never seen this before, the cops are telling people, get the fuck out of here now. And they're like screaming at people, get the fuck out of here, I told you. Like they they just laid it out. And I was a little shocked by that. And then I realized, wait, it's common in Philly for cops to do that. But at the same time, too, I they I think a lot of the attractiveness of what made this so attractive is the fact that it was kind of, uh, you know, disorganized. It was chaotic. It was frenetic. Even when they're showing and I forget one of the pit bulls is beating the shit out of I think it was Raven or Stevie and they're doing it in the entranceway to the ring. There's a fan on the other side of the railing who's just losing his mind and like pounding his fist into his palm and just totally getting into it. You know, again, only being in this building three times, I can remember at least once, if not twice, it always seemed like it was on the verge of a full scale riot, right? Like it always well, and, seemed- and that was that was quite frankly part of the appeal. Absolutely. You know? Yes. And uh, you know, I should say that Stevie Richards, uh, very early on in his appearance, uh, a gusher opens up and he's pretty much and I think Raven also uh, gets uh, gets some color. Uh yeah, just uh complete lunacy. Uh I you know, I mentioned before, Barry, that uh I only had a chance to go uh to the ECW arena one time. I can't even remember what the what the main event was. I know it was the match where uh, Tushi uh, Onita was there, and in the back they shot some angle with him and Tommy Dreamer, where like uh, Dreamer was supposed to go over and work a card for FMW or uh, whatever promotion I think that Onita was uh, affiliated with. But uh, and and that's you know besides that uh, the card though you were just uh, people losing their mind and uh, the wrestlers uh, you know going out there doing. I guess it's like organized chaos is the best way to put it, you know? And, uh, but I had a chance, uh, numerous times, uh, you know, probably maybe like 10 times I saw him in Fort Lauderdale at the venerable war Memorial auditorium, had a chance to see him, uh, in Orlando. And I saw him at a couple other venues in Florida. And, uh, you know, it was always, it was always a good time, you know, because that was when, uh, you know, like the WWF was like sort of the uh, the blase promotion that, you know, you don't want to, ah, oh, nobody wants to support them. And, you know, I think uh, by that point, uh, 95, I think Hogan had gone to WCW. So people were pissed off with uh, WCW. So ECW was really sort of the darling promotion of the hardcore fans, sort of in a position where, oh, if this was 1995, maybe like eight or nine years before the way that UWF uh, and maybe, you know, a couple of years after that, like Memphis had become the darlings and then Smoky Mountain. Well, at this point, you know, Smoky Mountain was still in existence, but ECW was really the darling of the uh, the sheet readers. Uh, so, uh, yeah, good times, Barry. Uh, we'll post a link to this match because uh, there is a lot to like about it. And uh, get ready for some chaos because that's what you're going to see. Uh, you know, double, uh, double chain match, uh, you know, uh, and. Just crazy, crazy stuff. I think you'll enjoy it. Now, Barry, why don't we go to our look at the top 10 villain deaths in movie movies? I- I'm guessing your friend Hans Gruber is going to be somewhere on that list, Barry. What do you think? He better be. Barry, you know, we love a good movie conversation here. I think you'll agree. We do. We love movies, Jeff. And what do we love more than anything in a good movie? A good villain. And Anyone who's a good villain, much like wrestling, the movies, well, maybe not this uh, type of uh, thing in, in wrestling, but in movies, you love to see a good villain get theirs. So we are offering our top 10, thank you, watchmojo.com, by the way, for this, 
top 10 most satisfying villain deaths in movies. I'm sure Barry Rose, right off the top of his head, has one in mind. We'll see if it's on the list. Are you ready to go, Mr. Rose? I'm excited to hear what they have chosen. Where did this come from? This didn't come from our Watch, usual source. Watchmojo.com. Watchmojo.com. All right. Sounds exciting. I'm here. Number 10, Barry. It's Howard Payne from Speed. You've, of course, seen Speed. The great I've death. seen Yes, Howard Payne being uh, Dennis Hopper? Of course, yes. Gotcha, okay. Decapitated as he's riding on top of the train wrestling Keanu Reeves. Yeah, that's uh, that was a good one, too. I, I thought Speed was a very good film, too. I remember seeing it and just going like, wow, this is, this is something else. This is a really, really well-made film right here. And Dennis Hopper, too, a guy who, you know, got this resurgence later in his life and... Uh, you know, he was, did a lot of shitty movies for a lot of years. And then towards the end of his life, started making decent movies again. But uh, yeah, he was. He was a really detestable villain. That was a good scene. And of course, it had to be somehow related to uh, to the bus, right? It had to be. Of course. Yes. Number nine, Barry, were you a fan of the Arnold Schwarzenegger film Commando? Oh, you know it. You and I have talked about Commando to like no one's business. Love Commando. It's the death of Bennett, played by the great Vernon Wells, who was the wheeze in uh, The Road Warrior. Yeah. Death via steam pipe. Hey, Bennett, let off some steam. Yeah, that, that was good. There were some good deaths in that in that movie, too. I I like, uh, you promised to let me go. I lied. <laughs> Drop. So, yeah, there there were some good ones right there when he got Bennett. When he finally got the the guy who was holding his daughter, who was played by Nick Tortelli from Cheers, playing like a Middle Eastern or a Hispanic, uh, you know, El crime El Presidente board. or something. Yeah, so yeah I think something, Spanish, something yeah. hysterically like, you know, goofy, but. Yeah, I, I boy, do I love Commando. We talked about Schwarzenegger's movies lately. And, uh, I, last episode, I forget exactly when, but he uh, he made some just really watchable popcorn films. Well, and then there was, of course, the fight scene in the motel room with the great uh, character actor Bill Duke. That was uh, yeah. that was really good stuff, too. Number eight, Barry, Cyrus the Virus uh, in Con Air. Death by Pile Driver. Do you remember the end of that movie? I do remember that. Yes, Cyrus. Were you a fan of Con Air? I was. It was. Uh, were you a fan of... of the mullet that Nick Cage had in that movie? Yeah, which is why I think I liked it. I liked the uh, the premise of that movie. I think even more than the movie itself, because the idea behind it I thought was absolutely great. But uh, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun and. Uh, Cyrus the virus. How do you beat that? How do you beat that name? Right. Well, and so many great. There was the uh, the guy that was uh, killed like thirty four people. Uh, the Manasseh Mauler that was played by. Uh, oh God, why why can't I think the, the guy from Boardwalk Empire? Barry, Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Yeah, he was the yeah. guy. And then of course you had uh, da Trejo, uh, Danny Trejo playing. Uh, was it Johnny Twenty Three? Because he's raped twenty three women. <laughs> if they only knew the truth, my name wouldn't be Johnny Twenty Three. You know, just a despicable character. But yeah. they were all grouped on the plane together. And uh, Ving Rames, I think, was uh, was one of it. Was it Ving Rames that played uh, in that movie? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember, yeah. but I think it was. Yeah, yeah, that's that's like one of those great movies on a Saturday afternoon. It's raining outside. Oh, Con Air's on. Let's check this out. So 
Number seven, a movie that recently, I believe, did well in our uh, best action movie uh, tournament. It's uh, the Alien Queen and aliens getting expelled out into space by Ripley. Barry, did you like the original Alien or Aliens more? I think I like the original. I th- I th- well, I, I think I like the original, but I think two may actually be a better movie overall. It's kind of like kind of like Terminator one and two also. That's a very fair comparison because I think the yeah. uh, the original Alien is more of a science fiction movie. Yep. Whereas Aliens, the sequel, is definitely more of an action film than necessarily a science fiction film. But uh, yeah, great. Uh, you know, Ripley uh, hits the button that uh, opens up the door, and the alien gets flung out into space. Uh, you know, crazy, crazy stuff. So number six, Barry, were you a fan of Gladiator? I was. Are a you fan not of abused? So when uh, I can tell you when Zach, my wife, my ex-wife was pregnant with Zach, who was our firstborn, we actually were tossing around naming him Max, which would have been based off of the Gladiator movie. It was right around the same time, 2000, I think, when the movie was released. I thought you were going to name him after uh, Mel Gibson's character in The Road Warrior. (laughs) Yeah. That would be what allowed, a tribute! But, what a tribute! Yeah, what a tribute! That would have been ironic, but no, it's uh, we weren't doing that. But yeah, I, I like the movie Gladiator a lot. Absolutely, Russell Crowe perhaps is best. You know, there was a run there that he had for about yes. mm, seven to ten years where he was the go-to guy, and then like all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but he just—I don't know if he got old all of a sudden or just sort of played his last card in Hollywood and was gone. You know. But uh, yeah, no, uh, it's when uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character of Commodus gets the knife to the throat by Gladiator. That is uh, one of the all-time great villain deaths in history because, of course, you know, Commodus had killed his own father earlier in the movie and was just a a really despicable character. Yeah, it was. uh, And Russell Crowe, too, the last time I saw him, I don't know if it was so much age as it was. I believe he's a bit of a head case. uh, Might be hard to believe. And I. I think there was a pretty big weight gain there, too. Russell Crowe looks to be like uh, double what he used to be. So I think there was a combination. But here was a guy, right? Beautiful Mind, which is a great, uh, yeah, was a great no, movie. And glad he, he, you know, he could do no wrong, I think, for a while. So, he yeah, start, I think the first time he really started breaking out in Hollywood was in uh, L.A. Confidential, which is a fantastic movie, by the way. Oh, my God. What an underrated film that is as well. That is a, an amazing film, a film that was similar. I thought this was the better of the two was Devil in the Blue Dress with Denzel yeah. Washington. Nope. Very, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Similar tone, similar, uh, you know, some yeah, of it. Both set in the like in the 40s in L.A. Like, yeah, exactly. Post war. Yeah. Know? But uh, OK, number five. Oh, Barry, this could be right in your wheelhouse. It is the death of Bill. In Kill Bill Volume 2 with the five-point exploding heart death punch. I know you're a Kill Bill fan, Barry, and can talk uh, perhaps for the next hour about Kill Bill. Oh, I could. I uh, And I can talk about any Tarantino movie for at least hours. But what I like about this is they're actually – the whole dialogue between the two of them, they're discussing superheroes. So how does somebody – because before she kills him – I'm going to say they talk for what, five minutes, give or take, would you say? At least, yeah, yeah. And how do you write the dialogue where these two are talking? Because they're not just talking about, they're talking about a lot of different things and superheroes, which I just thought was so unique. Uh, But when she kills him, when she gives him 
the five finger. They she, the, you, she uh, you use the five fingers for something completely unrelated well, to yeah, that. I absolutely sure do. But it's she continues to talk to him, which I thought was great. Right. He knows he's dying and they're still continuing to talk at that point. I, fantastic. Love this scene. Absolutely love it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's uh, one of the things that's interesting is that uh, in Kill Bill Volume One and Kill Bill Volume Two, uh, the veteran actor Michael Parks is in both movies as two completely different characters. Yes. Yeah. The late, the, late Michael Parks. Boy, he was then great came there. Bronson, his most uh, famous TV role. So, uh, again, Barry, at number four, here's another movie I think we did as a movie of the week that we had our, uh, our friends on the show or in our Facebook group review. It's the death of Norman Stansfield and Leon the Professional as he's blown up via explosion. Barry, we're both big fans of Leon the Professional. Oh, yeah, too. And that's a and what a detestable, horrific uh, bad guy he was. And what a great job he did. Uh, yeah. That was uh, Gary Oldman, right? Yep. Uh, dirty cop. Uh, Norman Stansfield uh, was uh, uh, round up everybody. 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 You know, yeah, he was uh, a real scumbag. It was uh, I love I can't love that movie anymore. I know a lot of people question some of the morals of the film and stuff like that. But as far as action and the acting, it's a, just an amazing job. Jean Renault, Gary Oldman, Danny Aiello. I, I think that was one of Danny Aiello's like his very uh, I don't want to say his first role, but uh, he hadn't really uh, achieved a great deal of fame yet by that point. Uh, so and then Natalie Portman as uh, as Matilda, just a, a great film bear. Yeah, and that's what we talked about Natalie Portman when we were discussing beautiful women, too. And she was this will always be Natalie Portman. For a lot of people, she's going to be the character from Star Wars. I don't know who it, what the name of the character is. But for me, this is this is Natalie Portman. She's always going to be the young girl and that Leon takes care of. And and he did such a great job. I was prepared. I, I thought this guy was going to be a huge star. I believe in his own country. He is. He's made several movies in America. I know he did a King Kong or a Godzilla movie at one point, but he did a lot of stuff that just wasn't that great. But I think I mentioned this to you one. Do you remember the glasses he wore in the movie? I think they're Revo. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're, so they're I went, like, I, yeah, exactly. I went, like John Lennon's old glasses, but like with a purple lens on them or something like that. Purple bluish tint to them. Yeah. And uh, I, when the movie came out, I was so taken. I went to see, they're like 300 bucks a pair. So I never got it. <laughs> and you, so yeah. you declined at that. Point. I declined. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so anyway, uh, next Barry on our list at number three, it is the termination. If you will, see what I did there of the T 1000 in Terminator two judgment day. He gets blown apart by Schwarzenegger shotgun and thrown into the, the vat of melted steel and uh, and then he's taken out by a by a Arnold. So it's Robert Patrick, uh, who's uh, done a lot of veteran character work. What'd you think of the death of the T one thousand bear? Fantastic. There was the the movie is excellent too. Again, I I'm a big fan of the first, but that's because it's I I think there's this connection that I have to the first. But two is a arguably a much better movie in a lot of ways, and uh, it, I think as a science fiction movie, I, it's almost flawless. I think the acting. All the way throughout a lot of the deaths that occur, the one death where uh, if you remember, if you remember the movie where Robert Patrick has taken over the voice of the I guess it's the foster mother of yes. the Edward. And then the husband comes in and just out of nowhere, the 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 sword comes out like right through his throat, goes through a carton of milk right through the guy's throat. 
I just always thought that was great too. But yeah, when he finally gets killed at the end, that was super exciting. What a well-made movie too. Yeah. And then the way that Ed Furlong knew that uh, something was wrong or that the Terminator knew something was wrong. Uh, Cause he asked about the dog and uh, something. Right. They, something what was the dog's about, name? Yeah. It was, it was a, the wrong name for the dog. Right. And they, that's how they, he says, your parents are dead. You know, they, they knew something was wrong. Uh, number two, Barry, who does not enjoy a good death of a bunch of Nazis? Am I right? Oh, my God. Kill the Nazis. Absolutely. You rarely see people in film rooting for the Nazis. It's number two. It's the death of the Nazis at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ark? Art? <laughs> Raiders Art. of the Lost Ark. It's easy for me <laughs> to say. By face melting. This is our only face melting in this uh, list, by the way, Barry. Yeah, it. You know, I mean, Raiders too. I, I think. I think I had mentioned. I. I didn't know what to expect when I saw Raiders of the. I saw it in the theater with a group of friends and walked out of the theater and was like, that may have been the greatest movie I ever saw. Right? Like that was really unbelievable. I loved that for a minute when you said the killing of the Nazis. For some reason, I immediately went to Inglorious Bastards, the ending of where they kill a bunch of Nazis. At the very end, which I love that movie in Glorious Bastards as well. But anytime you're killing Nazis, it's a good thing, Jeff. You're you're in favor of the killing of Nazis, in fact. Absolutely. So, yes. If you hadn't been, I'm in favor of more Nazis. Perhaps that would be a, a bad <laughs> sign for our fine podcast. Be our last episode. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> I can see Brian and Lou not, not particularly yeah. enjoying that aspect. So, Barry, the number one death, best death of a movie villain most satisfying. Barry, who do you think that might be? Hans Gruber. Falling Hans out the Gruber window. in Die Hard. There you still go. Still not a Christmas film. Barry, he takes the fall out of the Nakatomi Tower. <sighs> it's the only issue I have with it is how great if he w- could have been able to come back to, for part two. Because he was fucking on this guy. You know, this guy was unbelievable as an actor, uh, Alan Rickman. So, yeah, but it's. It's it's an iconic scene, and because of the technology at the time, it's kind of obvious. You know, he's not really falling out of building. <laughs> like you could you could see what's behind him. But what I do like about it, they get a real close up on him as he's falling, and he's such a great actor. He's moving his arms. He really looks like he is falling. It just just so great. But I think everybody, I think everybody that dies in that movie, uh, you know, it, it it's all done so well. So you're saying not a Christmas movie. Now, I know we've discussed this, but last night I was on one of my apps, my streaming apps, and it said Christmas movies and Die Hard was right there in the list. And I was going to get a screenshot and then post that. So, yeah, still a Christmas movie to me. Damn it. So I will offer you two pieces of trivia that I don't know if you're aware of. Uh Oh, the role of Hans Gruber in Die Hard by, as you mentioned, the late great Alan Rickman was in fact his first film. Did you know that? No, seriously? Uh, according to Watch Mojo, as I watched the video wow. today. So yeah, that's, uh, you know, I know he had done stage work, uh, you know, maybe in England and stuff like that, but obviously he's a, he was a brilliant actor. The other thing, you mentioned the fall uh, and how great and, you know, it, it was and stuff like that. So here's what they came up with that I had not heard of. When they did the fall, the facial expression on Alan Rickman as he's falling backwards. They told him when they were making the film, okay, we're going to do the fall uh, on three. Are you ready? One, two, boom. And they let him go. So the facial reaction you see from Alan Rickman is because they're, they, they let him fall before they told him they were going to let him fall. 
which I think is pretty cool. Uh, so where did he like? Where did he? What oh, was I'm, the fall like? How did I'm he, sure it was like he was falling like in into an air mattress or something like that. Gotcha. But when he was expecting to fall was on three, and instead they let him go on two. So part of what you see is like what you know, and uh, you know because he had been released early and he wasn't expecting it. So the next time, undoubtedly at Christmas, when you watch Die Hard, look for the facial reaction by Alan Rickman, the number one choice for the most satisfying death of a villain in movie history. Zombie as we're back. Let's take a look. We had a chance for some of the good folks to offer some uh, Q uh, questions for us, a little Q&A segment here. First of all, we're going to go to our old friend Kevin Dignam. Uh, Kevin wants to know, Barry, what's your worst movie theater experience? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I And I don't mean that theater where there's like sticky stuff on the floor and you, you know, put a quarter in. Not those theaters, Barry. Yeah, I I mean, my God, if I had, I mean, so yes, those two, right? But I, I've had some, uh, hor- I love, so first off, going to see a movie in a theater, especially an older, like, you know, his, like New York City used to have these older historic theaters. That was one of the great joys of my life. Unfortunately, real movie theaters, they're all multiplexes. There's no personalities anymore to them. But I went to see a movie, <sighs> 84. Five or 86 and was it top gun i totally forget what the movie was but it was a big movie that had come out and i was in a different area having dinner with a young lady that i was seeing at the time and i should say she was she was mouthy uh, and excuse she, me? <laughs> she was a giver well, you know, as much as I wasn't going to go there, she uh, right there in the theater, please. She she Detail. was kind of a exactly. She was kind of a, she was somebody who would say what she wanted when she wanted. Didn't always play well, so we wound up going to a movie theater in a not a great part of town, and somebody said something to her, and she shot back with you know like a fuck you or something. And I, I was pretty much sure that I was going to be killed at that stage. And uh, I, I was like, you know, I, I basically lit into her and I'm like, I'm getting in my fucking car. You do whatever you want. Uh, I can't but, believe you didn't end up marrying this girl, Barry. Yeah, exactly. But that that was pretty bad. Like I've been to some bad. I went to a couple of theaters, not adult theaters on 42nd Street in the, the the mid early 80s and did that primarily because you could go to a nice theater and see a movie for, I don't know, seven or eight dollars at the time. I don't know what the cost was, but you could go to these older seedy theaters and see the same movie for half of that. So I would go to sometimes to save a few bucks. 1984, it wasn't like I was rolling in dough. At the same time, these were disgusting movie theaters. You would see rats going up and down the halls and shit, up and down the aisleways. So, uh, so I've had some pretty bad experiences in theaters. So the two that popped to my mind right away, uh, let's see, mid to late 80s, uh, the second Mrs. Bowdrin and I went to see a kindergarten cop uh, in Hollywood, Florida at the Sheridan. Uh, it was a multiplex on Sheridan Street. But uh, hey, did you see uh, uh, Kindergarten Cop Bear? I did. I did. Yeah, I fun, fun movie. Good. good it's not a tumor. It's yeah, not exactly. a tumor. Yeah. So uh, good movie. But uh, Mrs. Bowdrin and I in there, and we had uh, the uh, – crowd of teenagers uh, like four or five rows in front of us and uh getting uh mouthy uh, not at us at the screen 
just being generally very obnoxious. And uh, uh, you remember that uh, Seinfeld scene when uh, Costanza has to uh, stand up and uh, eh, you asking for it? Do you want some? You know, that whole scene, Barry. You oh, that? of course I remember that. Yeah, I, love I, that. I, I didn't do that because, you know, let's face it, I'm a coward. But, you know, I, I was essentially close to that because they were really starting to piss us both off. The other one, uh, Barry, I don't know if you remember this because, you know, you were down there in your uh, your sunny Isles, your North Miami Beach. But in Plantation, Florida, a lovely suburb we've mentioned before of, of Fort Lauderdale, there used to be the venerable Plantation Theater. And uh, so uh, and this was an old style, you know, big screen, you know, big theater, lots of seats. Uh, kind of thing. And so I uh, went there with uh, my friends. This was like uh, 79, And I was a very uh, much uh, uninitiated the ways of the world in a lot of ways uh, and uh, was uh, just beginning to uh, dabble in some stuff that Mr. Rose may still occasionally enjoy dabbling in. But I digress. So uh, we went there and we were going to go see uh, the midnight movie. It was a uh, Woodstock. OK, which it's like a three hour movie or something, that, you know, for midnight showing. And uh, so we get there. I'm basically just completely, uh, you know, bumfuzzled. I don't know where I am, basically, uh, because of some uh, supplementals that may have been provided to me. And uh, so all I had been told, because I'd never seen the movie going up here, is, oh, well, you got to fucking see uh, Hendrix play the Star Spangled Banner, because it, that's like the fucking, uh, uh, here's a word we haven't used in a while, but the, the penultimate of the movie is uh, oh. Jimi Hendrix playing the uh, Star Spangled Banner. And so, uh, so I'm sitting there, uh, you know, half out of my gourd. And so, uh, literally, every time a new act comes on stage, I was like, "Is this the Jimi Hendrix part, man?" <laughs> and so, uh, I remember specifically uh, when uh, the Who uh, comes on to perform, and they're doing, uh, you know, uh, something from Tom, maybe Pinball Wizard or something like that. And uh, you see, uh, you know, uh, uh, Roger Daltrey's uh, flinging the uh, the microphone in a circle, and then. Pete Townsend hits the chords and wow. And I looked over and a little too loud, perhaps I went, Hey man, is this the fucking Hendrix part? And uh, I heard about 15 people around give the little, <laughs> you know, the, the little muttly laugh from the cartoons because I was, yeah, that was, uh, <clears throat> it's fun to look back on Barry, but I was pretty embarrassed that night just because I was so fucking gone. Uh, good times, Barry. Well, when you speak about edibles and things like that, I did not mention anything. Specific. You didn't, but there will never be anything like the guy at one of the fan fests, if you remember, who took too many edibles that literally was walking <laughs> oh, <yes>. around, <laughs> walking around like a zombie and all these stories. And oh, man, and I'm apologizing to me also and apologizing for. Yeah, we weren't sure what he was apologizing for, but for something. So, yes. Yes. So next question from our old friend, Mark. Kirkwick, uh, uh, by the way, a, a moderator in our fine Breaking Gay Fable Badger and Berry group. Thank you, Mark. Mark was a Berry. If you won the lottery, and for the sake of argument, let's just say a million dollars after taxes. Thank you for doing our taxes for us, Mark. What are the first three things that you would spend the money on? And a follow-up question, what would be one wrestling-related thing you would buy or eventually spend the money on? So I, I've just won a million dollars in the first three things I'm going to buy? Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Go ahead. Is that okay? Uh, so I'm going to need a little more than a million dollars, Barry. If I'm going to really go into this fantasy here though. I would, I mean, I would, I absolutely. Well, yeah. So why don't we do it? Do you want to do it that way? <laughs> Should we go that way? Sure. Cause I would need, so absolutely. I am buying a house on the beach in Florida, or at least close to the beach with a very large pool, a beautiful house. I'd like to get a condo in New York city. So I could, uh, 
when I'm not in there, I could come back and then I would love to be able to pay off at this stage, my, uh, my college, the college tuitions for both of my kids. So those would be the yeah, three I like things. You. That's nice. Yeah. And then if we're looking at something wrestling related, what would I want to buy? So I, I don't know, you know, there, there's a lot that I would want to buy. What would be, I sent the Holy grail. So there are, I'm not a big belt guy, uh, first off, but, and, and I suspenders, should say, is that what you wear? It's I wear suspenders. I, I, I own the original, Florida tag team titles from 1969, 1970 at one point. And I sold those in 2007 and, uh, and they were, they were shitty belts. They were, you know, these weren't like great collectibles. However, I am aware that there are several belts in someone's garage sitting in a box, not a wrestling fan either. The, the spouse of someone who is passed away and they're just sitting there and they're collecting dust. This spouse has no interest in doing anything with them. They're just sitting there. And I would, if I had the money, uh, if I had a lot of d- disposable income, I would absolutely make an offer to try to get those belts. These were the belts that were used in the 1970s in Florida, uh, which would, for me, obviously would actually mean a lot. So, yeah. So I'm going to go along with you. Uh, I am uh, buying a house uh, uh, here in the hills and or mountains of Georgia. You can have your beach. Uh, we've established that. Uh, let's see. Uh, besides that, what am I going to do? Uh, a daughter currently going to college, Barry, uh, uh, part-time, but informed mom and I that she is on the dean's list. Barry, with a 4.0 GPA, who is this woman that my daughter's become? What did she do with my daughter that was in high school that, you know, Never wanted to do homework and uh, stuff like that. But now, yeah, she's uh, she's doing very well in college. So we're going to take care of that problem for her regarding the student loans. And uh, hmm, what else would I do? Oh, uh, maybe, uh, you know, going with the uh, the wrestling-related question, I think I would take a trip back to Japan. Uh-huh. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to take you with me, Barry. Yay. Uh, and it will take Cholminski because Cholminski knows where everything is, yes. and he'll show us around. But I was listening to an older episode, Barry, where uh, we were talking about, uh, and you uh, referenced that Cholminski had gone to this wrestling store that has all these, like pretty much anything you'd ever want to buy wrestling-related, not just Japanese wrestling-related, all sort of memorabilias. And uh, go in there, spend some money on some wrestle, uh, wrestling memorabilia, maybe some belts. Uh, you know, I know, I'm going to tell you, uh, somebody that uh, that you and I both know, uh, who is a longtime uh, fan of the Mid-Atlantic area, a gentleman who may have formerly set front row in Section D. <clears throat> That's all I'm going to say. But he has uh, a number of uh, uh, your cardboard uh, wrestling cards going back to the uh, the late '60s, early '70s from uh, from Mid Atlantic back in the day. I think when it was still like even Eastern Championship Wrestling, Barry. But uh, his his placards, I guess you can call them, uh, for these cards are just unbelievable. Uh, I remember uh, he's brought them uh, not not to a, the the uh, CWF Legends Fan Fest, but I remember when we went to the uh, the Hogan Flair card uh, in Orlando. He brought them with them. And uh, he was showing everybody in the hotel, and I would love to put an offer in on some of those uh, those cards that he has. Great, great wrestling memorabilia that a uh, friend of the show has, Barry. 
Yeah, so I, I've got I, I've only got I think two from the Mid Atlantic area, and there's a couple of people that are out there. So when it comes to wrestling collectibles, everything is game. And there's belt collectors, uh, you know Ben James, who's a good friend of ours. Uh, he's who? the largest. Who? Ben James. Ben. Go ahead. Had, ask me about Ben James. Let me tell you about. But go. Let me ask you about. I'll ask you about Ben James. Tell me about Ben James. Who? Who? All right. That's all I'll say. Go ahead. Ben. Yeah, Ben and uh, Ben and Kelly and Mark Russ tearing it up on the west coast of Florida, causing all kinds of problems down in that area. Apparently, right? But especially uh, Kelly. She's especially like <laughs> Kelly. Yeah, Kelly, the innocent one of the three, I think. But but yeah, but I've got uh, I've got I have a couple from Mid Atlantic, and then when it comes to Florida, I've got about a hundred and fifty posters going back to the early 60s up until probably the mid 80s and I've actually sold a few this year I uh, I had some that I I parted with because the price was right or I part with because the price was right so Jeff if you do win the lottery please come shop with me first okay there we go so next question very JP mango wants to yes. know very full metal jacket or platoon which one are you going with well it, it's the tough call. And I'm going to go with Full Metal Jacket only because I, I like I'm not saying it's a better movie because as a better depiction of war, Platoon may, I think, beats it. But as a movie, I think Full Metal Jacket for a lot of reasons, Arlie Ermey being one of those. <laughs> exactly. There, there yeah. is your answer right there. You had two yep. great movies, both nominated for Best Picture, I believe. Platoon ended up winning. And certainly, we're not shitting on Platoon, an incredible no. war film, okay? So claustrophobic in certain scenes, but you're talking early army here in the first uh, hour of the movie, uh, you know, and uh, you private Joker, private pile, uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, uh, uh, hey, baby, how did you like some of that Alabama black snake uh, uh, in the second part of the movie? And then the final uh, hour or, or 45 minutes where they're trying to evade the sniper and they go in there, and they, they find out the sniper is this young woman, Barry. And it was yeah. like such a uh, incredible scene. Stanley Kubrick, just absolutely made a great soundtrack, too. Both films had great soundtracks. But really, JP, you can't go wrong with either one of them. I am agreeing with Barry. I'm going to go Full Metal Jacket also. Jason Gross wants to know, Barry, name a band you like listening to that nobody would expect. <sighs> Well, it, it, let's be honest. I, I've broken my cherry by admitting all the embarrassing m music that I listen to. There, there's nothing. So, what, what wouldn't you expect? I uh, okay. It, it, it's an artist. It's not a band. But really, well, maybe it is. I if Wham came on, I would listen to Wham. I I get. Wake I, me up before you go go. That's all I'm going to say. Cheesy. Here. I actually think George Michael was a hell of a talent. That yes, you know, absolutely. Got Carol. I, let's life. be honest. Careless Whisper is an incredible friggin' song. Like, oh, if you listen to it now, I mean, like, great lyrics, great, the saxophone solo in the song. And I made the mistake of, unfortunately, not stopping the DJ immediately at my first wedding at the, re uh, at the reception when he played Careless Whisper, which is a song about someone cheating on someone. So, yeah. yeah. You know. but, all, but even his solo stuff, George yes. Michael... You know, just uh, I think a tremendous talent gone away to a tortured life. If you know yes. the story, oh, very yeah. sad. But I think Wham would be it. Yeah, faith, father figure. You know, uh, just great, great stuff. Uh, I would say that uh, I'll throw a little something uh, as far as uh, from my end uh, there, uh, Jason. You know, I, I'm a guy that's uh, I, I'm not one of these guys that are so into bands that I'll sit there and say, 
oh yeah, this uh, this song from their fourth album that nobody ever plays, man. This is the fucking killer track of no, I, you know. I, I listened to growing up, I was a, a top 40 guy, you know? I listened to America's Top 40. I know maybe that doesn't make me as cool as certain other people on the network that uh, used to read uh, Crawdaddy <laughs> and Cream Magazine to find the really fucking obscure <laughs> bands. I'm not going to mention any names. So I was a Top 40 guy. So I'll give you a story, Barry. Okay. Yesterday, uh, Mrs. Bowdrin and I are out. Uh, you know, we are currently uh, in the, uh, the house hunting uh, game. So we, we go out early. And so uh, we're listening to, uh, on the 70s, uh, Sirius uh, Station, because uh, I'm an old-timer, let's be honest. And they're playing, Barry, do you remember the song by Mary McGregor, Torn Between Two Lovers? Torn Between Two Lovers, yes. feeling uh, like you know, a oh, horrific song, horrific song. It's really song. bad, okay? Yeah. But here's what I like, okay, first of all, total one-hit wonder. She literally never did anything else again, okay? But so I'm listening to the song. And at some point, I like, we were at a traffic light, and I stopped, and I turned to the uh, sainted Mrs. Bowdrin, and I said, you know, have you listened to the words of this song? She said, she tells the the guy that she's singing to, who apparently, I'm going to guess is her husband, she said, one of the lines is, you mustn't think you failed me because there's someone else. So I'm like, wait a minute. You cheated on the guy, but you don't want him to think he's failed you. No, because he hasn't. Because you're the fucking bitch that cheated <laughs> on him. So, you know, but, oh, don't think that you failed me. I'd uh, say, so, hey, man, Mary McGregor. So, you know, it, but Barry's right. It's a really horrible song, but it has, much like Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, that uh, particular cheese factor, you know. And uh, then, you know, I flipped over to the 80s station. Uh, again, do I like uh, obscure tracks from bands? No. I listened to Thomas Dolby. She blinded me with science. Love Thomas Dolby. Science! science. You know, great, good heavens, Miss Havisham. You know, I You're love beautiful. that freaking song. What? You're beautiful. You're that's beautiful, he... yeah. I, that's the kind of shit. I love one-hit wonder, you know, bands and one-hit wonder artists. That's the kind of shit I go for. How dare you call Thomas Dolby one-hit wonder? Well, you know, I'm sure you've got some obscure track that was uh, in the dance clubs in the mid-'80s, but <laughs> that's the song he was uh, best known for. Let's just put it well, that way. Sure. Yes, yes. So, uh, okay, let's see who we got next here. We got uh, Sean McIver. What one Japanese star would you have booked to be a, uh, great phrase, Sean, tippy-top guy? Sean, really? Tippy top? Okay. Uh, and worked champ in the WWF or NWA in each of these decades, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. How would you have booked it? First of all, Sean, you cheated. That's more than one question. But please, Barry, your thoughts. So I, I'm looking for, just so I'm aware, so in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, one Japanese star that I would book on top. Yes. Gotcha. Okay, so it, yeah, I mean, obviously, Sharuda's going somewhere. I'm going to assume Sharuda's going to go in the 80s for me. That'd be um, fair. Yeah, the 70s, the 70s, I would put Mr. Saido, Masa Saido, who I know is AWA champ a decade later. But as a professional wrestler, this guy will always go down criminally underrated. In the 90s, this opens up a lot more. If I'm booking a transitional heel champion at his gnarliest with the the dentures out, Toshiaka Kawada would have been a great transitional champion because he looked like a tough motherfucker, didn't he? When he would take out the front row of dentures and he's missing his teeth, 
I think you could have done something with him there. So, first of all, what the question begs is you're going to have to re-educate the audience. You have to uh, – but if you're playing under the rules of that of that time frame, then they're going to have to have a manager, okay, because they're not going to – you know. Uh, Let's be honest, there's not a lot of promoters that are going to let a Japanese guy that maybe isn't completely fluent in the language, uh, you know, have the microphone to try to, you know, build up heat. So they're going to have a manager. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I like uh, I like your Mr. Saito uh, thing. That was good. Uh, you know, Antonio Inoki did come over to the United States and, uh, you know, of course, uh, got the big rub from uh, the Muhammad Ali fight. So you could, you know, certainly position him uh, using that. Uh, as a way to get him over uh, in the eighties, uh, Saruta would have absolutely been a. Uh, I got to interrupt you on that, Jeff. I don't think anybody you. exactly. I don't think anybody who who watched the Muhammad Ali fight. I I I think if Anoki had a chance of being a big star, that all went out the window, and that was nineteen. And that's fair. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, fair. yeah. I think at that point, his career in the U.S. was done based off that performance. Sure. So uh, the 80s, you mentioned Jumbo, uh, Masa Saito, uh, Tatsumi Fujinami, uh, any of those guys. But again, you're going to have to there, there's going to be a certain amount of uh, um, presumption that these guys are not completely fluent in English. And maybe, quite frankly, maybe Fujinami, because Fujinami spent a lot of time in the United States. Saruta spent a lot of time in the United States that these guys, you know, uh, had a certain fluency in the English language where they could have done, you know, promotions and, and, you know, your traditional wrestling fan at that time, you know, whether it's, let's say the early eighties. Okay. Uh, Jumbo Saruta comes over and wins a title. Uh, the, the thought process is going to be, Oh, this guy's Japanese. Uh, I got to boo him. So you have to re-educate the fan from that perspective. Now, when you get into the nineties, now you have some more, uh, openings there, uh, uh, you, in fact, and Mr. Rose are negligent and not mentioning oh. the great Muta. Oh, yeah. You forgot about him, Barry. You're a uh, great Muta in the 90s. 100%. Yes. yes. And so uh, and another guy that we have not mentioned that I think would have been perfect uh, for the 90s uh, that was an absolutely spectacular performer is Kenta Kobashi, I think, would have been an amazing, amazing talent to put a world title on uh, maybe in the 90s. What do you think about that, Barry? Yeah, Kobashi would have. I, I I don't know. And you would think conventionally that Kobashi would get over because, A, he was a guy that did smile as well. He was a guy that possibly could have been a baby face. And that's where I think Muda, I think Muda's strength maybe would have been as a baby face as well. I, you know, Kobashi's great. I, I, we always debate Kobashi Misawa between the two of us. But I think we both agree Kobashi to me was the guy I I, I do not think that that Masawa could have gotten over in the United States as Mitsuhara Masawa the way that he uh, because th let's be honest, they had taken the long, slow road to build him up to the absolute megastar he was in Japan. But he didn't have uh, he wasn't as expressive in the face the way that Kobashi and you said exactly. Kawada was, you know, he didn't right. have that. And I think that's part, especially in the United States, of getting you over was the uh, the facial expressions. hundred so, percent. Yep. Uh, next, Jason Diagostino wants to know, Barry, I I'm going to let you handle this one, Barry, because you're the food guy. What right. restaurants chains do you feel are personally underrated? Uh, well, I think it, depending on, well, I, I'm not going to say Bojangles. Jason and I had lunch at Bojangles with uh, the Spiker brothers and uh, Amal Pitts, Jamie Ward a couple of weeks back. So I won't say Bojangles. I think for underrated 
Anthony's Pizza, which has taken a bit of a hit over because they were sold to a company and there were some changes. But, you know, there's so much shitty pizza out there and I'm astounded at times. You look at a chain like Papa John's, right? Or Domino's. And I look, if you like that, more power to you. That I wouldn't eat that shit if it was free. And so I, wait a minute. Let, let me just let me just stop you right there. Sure. Uh, and let me ask you, taking out of the equation all the things that happened that got uh John taken out of the company, okay? Before and after he left, was the pizza better when he was there or better after he left? What do you think? I, I, you're asking the wrong okay, guy. Okay, no, I, would, I, didn't, I, would, I, would, I have no I idea. Know. I'll be honest with you. I think I've tried Papa John's once, and it was like right. five years ago. Yep. So I'm not a regular enough consumer to be able to answer the question. I thought maybe you could. Go ahead, please. So I, I had Papa John's twice in my life. The first time's probably 20 years ago. The second time would have been five or six years ago. I don't know if he was with the company or without the company, but about a month ago, maybe a little longer. I was out of town on a weekend and the lovely Zoe Rose, my daughter, had my apartment and she ordered Papa John's for this within the last month for her and her friends. There were two pizzas and some of the pizza was left over and left in the refrigerator. So when I came back, I saw it. So after I spent 30 minutes, you know, chiding her on how disappointed I am as a father that she would order uh Papa John's pizza instead of going to a mom and pop place or something like that. She said, well, the pizza was terrible anyways, which I was very proud to hear. I felt I, the right thing to do was to give it a shot. I took it out. I reheated it the correct way. And I got to tell you, the pizza is horrific. And, but Anthony's is a great pizza and whether it's a chain, which it is or not, they still produce great pizza on that note. I think I'm having Anthony's tonight. Anthony's is underrated if you like quality pizza. That would be probably my biggest choice right there. I'll put as a runner-up, and you don't really see them because I know that they closed down a lot of locations, Grub Burger. Have you ever had Grub Burger? I have not. So there were two locations near us. Both have closed. I'm hoping that the chain is not gone. It's a high-quality burger. It's got great flavor. The chicken tenders were hand-breaded, some of the best I had ever had. Zach would get the chili, and chili is, you know, chili could, that could just fucking kill you. That could really fuck you up. Uh, Zach would get the chili, and the chili was spectacular. Wait, 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 wait. Let, let me just, before you tell me the story. Sure. Because you're talking about the way that chili fucks you up. Uh, Barry, I, I'm sure at this point, Joe Christie is waiting with bated breath. Uh, for some sort of fecal-related story about what chili does to you. So for Joe, please describe uh, the effects of chili running through the system of, of young Barry or perhaps young Zach Rose and the ultimate endgame. And I should say, too, Zach is a, is a proud farter and shitter, much like I am. That well, he's his father's son. He is. While he's not hitting lawns, uh, Zach can destroy any bathroom at any time and has on that note, also, let's send our best to Joe. Joe Absolutely. Is, uh, Joe has been fighting cancer for some time. I believe there was a small setback this week with an infection, but we are in Joe's corner, the entire brothership. We will see Joe, God willing, at the next CWF Legends Fan Fest, courtesy of Frankie and Jenna Seacrest. And uh, I know Joe is going to make every effort, despite his very serious health issues to get there. So we're in his corner, but I would say Anthony's, if I had to pick one, 
Anthony's is so good that at times I am shocked that they're a chain. And then look, there's other great, I would say some of the great steakhouses, the Ruth Chris and the Mortons, but they do receive a lot of accolades, right? Like, you know, these aren't sleeper chains that nobody knows about. So I like this question though, Sean, excellent question. So I would say if I'm going burger places, uh, I know you're an in and out guy. Uh, Mm. I like uh, smash burger. Had smash burger a week and a half ago. Holy fucking shit. Hold the phone. Have you been to Smashburger lately? Uh, unfortunately not. Please oh. tell us. Oh, my. I'm I'm very. Hold on. Hold on. OK, uh, go ahead and finish. All right. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe into your towel. And okay. now go ahead. First off, express extreme disappointment for not discussing this previously. They've got a burger now, Jeff, where they put sliced brisket on the burger. Oh, that's so it's tasty. Oh, my. They put a little barbecue sauce. They do crispy onions. And they're doing slices of brisket on top of a burger. Oh, my God, is it fantastic. Highest recommendation. I may go with you. I may flip right now and say Smashburger based off that burger. Well, and I was going to say the reason I like Smashburger, as good as their burgers were, is they have these fries, or at least they did last time I was there, and they dust them with this seasoning. I don't know if it's like a Cajun seasoning or what, but holy crap, my uh, better than like McDonald's fries, that, that kind of, that kind of level, uh, good stuff. Uh, you know, you mentioned steak places. I gotta tell you a place that, you know, I, I know it's up and down and you always talk about how different places it's, it's all about who the manager is and how much he's, he or she is taking care of business and uh, making sure that there's a standard that is set and, and kept up. But, you know, Kim and I, we go to Longhorn probably once, maybe every two weeks, and other than, you know, we mentioned one time where we had a problem with the service, the food very rarely disappoints, Barry. Are you a fan of Longhorn? Not necessarily, but based off of what you just said, the prelude to uh, to when you were telling me what your opinion was, I had a couple of bad experiences. So it could be location based. Sure. Uh, and obviously, and obviously, let's be honest, Longhorn is not the, the same price, uh, you know, plan as Morton's or Ruth's Chris or something like that. So, you know, you go in there understanding that you're not getting, you're not getting Ruth's Chris or Morton's or, or one of the real high end, uh, uh, what is it? Smith and Walensky or something like that. You yes. know, you, you go in and you're understanding you're going to Longhorn. You're not going to uh, a super high place. Okay. Next. Oh, Barry, it's the president of the Barry Rose fan club. Do you know who that is, Barry? That would be Mike, Mike Wilson. It is Mike Wilson. Yes, Mike. And Mike, much like our uh, other question, a giver in that he's giving both of us $1 billion. Mike apparently has got some side hustle going on that he's making this kind of money, but he's giving each of us a billion dollars. And he wants to know which one of the national promotions, AEW, WWE, NWA, or impact. I'm kind of snickering uh, there when he said impact, which one of these are you buying Barry and running? Uh, I'm buying impact and I'm going to tell you why. So the WWE, I, I, I would want nothing to do with, right? Though, of course, if they call me tomorrow and offered me a job and the money was as good as I'm currently making with my job, I would accept. But an AEW I feel is fine. If impact had money behind it, I feel that a lot more could be done with it. I believe it's Mark Cuban, right? Doesn't he have something? It's Access TV. Which I don't know, but Javorsky's hard just hearing you say that. Yeah. So this is what I liked about Impact this past week. This was the big thing. 
having gone to obviously WWE shows and big, you know, big 16, 17,000 attended events, people attended events impact. There was under a thousand people in the building. It was in the old ECW arena. You're very, it's very intimate. It's very close. I love that experience. I like the, I don't want to be up in nosebleed seats with fucking binoculars watching something. I want to be right near the railing where guys are throwing people into the railing. So I think given the opportunity with money, I could buy impact and I could probably, of course I do. Right. I could turn it around. Of course I could. Yes. So um, I'm going to answer this in two different ways. I would buy AEW for the content uh, because I think that uh, for as much as people piss and moan and, uh, you know, Barry, I sent you a uh, a post that someone uh, that we both know had put in there. Oh, AEW completely sucks. They're horrible. You know, with the, the stuff with uh, with Brian Danielson. Uh, the, the stuff with, uh, with Moxley, with Steven Regal, all those guys and, and the potential of what that could become, I find it is really intriguing as well as they have some, uh, some other young guys that I really think have, uh, you know, just tons of potential to be big stars. But I will say I would also consider buying WWE and before you, Barry Rose go, what you hate WWE. I'm going to put this out there. <laughs> they they have a contract with a uh, national network. Uh, you know, the, so that of course means that, you know, no matter how bad you completely fuck shit up, you're going to make money, you know? So strictly from a financial point of view, I, I can't just completely ignore the fact that, you know, they have the Fox contract and, you know, I mean, geez, certainly, you know, the stuff that they've been doing lately that uh, has screwed the pooch from what I understand. Uh, and people sit there and say, oh, this is the beginning of the end of the W. No, they have a fucking contract with a national network. They're not going anywhere. And, you know, uh, of course, let's be honest when, uh, you know, the time does come and uh, at some point it's going to happen too when Vince leaves this mortal coil. Uh, there is going to be a certain upheaval. Uh, what's going to happen within the organization? Because I think there is going to be one huge, huge uh, family dispute as to the direction of the company. I can't wait to see how that goes, Barry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, next question, and this will be the last question for this particular uh, Q&A segment. It's from our old friend Tom Hale out there, I believe, in Arizona, Barry. He wants to know, Barry, did you ever see the 1982 movie Cat People? Oh, Kinski, my man. With gasoline. David Bowie's Cat People, which is putting out fire with gasoline, is such a great fucking song. Though every David Bowie's is a great has a great, you know, every Bowie song is a great fucking song. I actually like this movie a lot. And uh, you know, whether it's uh was it Egg Begley Jr. that gets his arm ripped off? By the uh, remember that scene where uh, just, I'll be honest with you, I, I think I saw this movie last like maybe five to ten years ago. I, I did see it, you know. And let's be honest, it's you're right. It's a great Bowie song. It's a it's a good movie. I don't know if it's a great movie. You it's know? a fun movie. It's not yeah. it's not a great movie. And, you're 100% and right. Yes. part of the the fun is that Natasha Kinski was just unbelievably oh. hot uh, yeah. when they made this film, and uh, you know uh, Natasha Kinski and the Snake Barry, you know. Yeah, and Malcolm McDowell. You can never go wrong with Malcolm McDowell in a, in a movie. 
Do you remember? Uh, the, do you remember the poster of Nastasia Kinski with the snake? I own that poster. Of course, I remember it. Please, I. I were there lost. were there undetectable stains on the poster? <laughs> no, they were detectable actually. <laughs> yes, many. <laughs> I believe I'm, I'm going to say that was a was it Richard Avedon? Yes, it was, was the photographer that shit. Yes, it was. Uh, you know, wow. I just kind of pulled that out of my ass. So yep. uh, and I'll tell you what, uh, since Tom asked two questions, you greedy son bitch. Uh, I'm going to leave the Q&A segment with Tom's last question. Barry, more talented band Fleetwood Mac or Rush? R-U-S-H, my friend. I, I, I people look, first off, bring on the hate. Bring it on. I don't care about Fleetwood Mac. I've always found them. What? I found them very overrated. There's there's some great music there. There's also a lot of crap that I think people accept because they love Fleetwood Mac. I am into Rush, though. I'm a guy, right? That's what guys are into Rush. I, I think Rush's body of music, these guys are true, deep musicians. I love Rush. Big regret, never got to see him in concert. I screwed up. They toured every fucking year, and I always said, I'll go next year. Everything I warn people about on a weekly basis Meet your heroes. Go see the concert you want to see because, you know, again, I had tickets for Steve A. Ray Vaughn and I gave them away and then he gets in a plane crash. Do what you got to do now because tomorrow's not promised for anybody. I'm in the rush camp all the way, though, Jeff. So I will say that uh, I like Fleetwood Mac. Uh, I like uh, a lot of the songs. I have a big Stevie Nicks fan. Uh, I even like uh, Lindsey Buckingham singles. I think uh, that they're uh, they're very talented musicians. Uh, it's interesting, you know. There are people that are Fleetwood Mac fans that are fans of Fleetwood Mac back in the Peter Green days uh, when they were, uh, you know, much different band than when they uh, basically discovered cocaine and and uh, popular songs. And uh, you know, which is what uh, Stevie and Lindsay brought to the band was they turned, you know, with the original the Fleetwood Mac album that had like landslide and stuff like that, and then rumors. And then, uh, you know, there was uh, about a five-year run where, uh, you know, the old story about how Stevie Nicks, like, her, her nose was essentially gone because she was doing so much cocaine. But um, I will go, and I've seen both bands in concert, I will say that, uh, but I'm going to agree with you because uh, I like uh, Rush overall as a band. However, controversial opinion, uh, recently discussed Rush and Neil Peart, 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 whatever, uh, with uh, old friend of the show, Dave Flaherty, a uh, bit of a musical guru from his days as a roadie with Judas Priest and other bands. And he told me a story about an encounter he had with Neil uh, where uh, Neil was uh, a bit of an asshole. And so uh, I said, uh, well, let me ask you, Dave, uh, do you think that that somehow affects your look at uh, how you would rate Neil as a drummer? And he said, no, I think Neil's a great drummer. I don't think he's as great as some people think that he is. Ooh, I'll let Dave speak to that on our uh, Facebook group, Breaking Ape Ape about and Barry. So on that note, Barry, let's pause right there. Jamie Ward, uh, James Young, Matthew Tyler, your questions will be coming up next week. That's what's called a teaser, as well as the other ones that we haven't gotten to yet. So, Barry, are you about ready for the old EU go home? Let's do it, my man. Okay, so I will leave you with this little a little uh, little offering for Javorski, Barry, real quick at the Impact tapings, two nights worth. What was the best match? Jay White and Chris Bay. I have not seen Chris Bay in a year. Do you have an idea who Chris Bay is, Jeff? No, Bay Bay. I see what All I right, there. Chris Bay. I haven't seen him in a year and a half. Always had talent. 
Chris Bay and Jay White, the switchblade against, uh, I believe it was, uh, who the fuck do they even wrestle? Uh, Motor City Machine Guns, I think. I think that's what you told me, yes. Yeah. I, I, but anyways, I look, I don't know. what I was drunk. What the hell do I remember? But I had a great time. It was really good. Here's the thing, too. Actually, there was a street fight. Oh, I'm going to get shit from this one, from Cholminski. There was a street fight between Mickey James and Tasha Steeles, a woman's street fight that I thought was really, really good. And then Speedball Mike Bailey is now an impact. Have you ever, have you ever seen this guy, Speedball? No, I remember you told me during the 80s you were a fan of Speedballs. A different thing, well, though, I'm guessing. Different, different. Yeah, but he, that guy is a, a real talent as well. There, there was nothing that I thought was horrific on either night, and it was just a lot of fun. You uh, you told me that you had a bit of a, uh, at your age, Barry, a bit of a mark-out moment. You got to meet uh, the Switchblade? I did not. Nope. Well, it was <laughs> it was scheduled, but uh, there was a lot going on. But I was, yeah. But I, I did get to see David Penzer, though. Wow, that's almost the same thing. Right? Yeah. So on that note, I will say that I am Jeff Powder, and sometimes they call me the booker, on behalf of our co-host, Barry Rose, and... Scam likely Lou Kippelman on the production duties. I will let you know that Breaking Kefabe with Bowdrin and Barry, a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. More questions coming from you, the listeners, next week. And until then, sayonara. <laughs>